Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Didek, and this week we're talking about discipline and tradition and remembering where we came from and who came before. Lots to look at again, so let's get going. So as a quick reminder, we are in the middle of a two-part series of topics that kind of came up because of some of the reactions I was getting from the first book of my new series. Uh, The book is titled A Fire to Kindle in the Spirit Wind series of kind of Christian supernatural, allegorical, fantasy, suspense, thriller, horror, apparently. My wife is in charge of the marketing for my books, and so I always like to, you know, make it as difficult to market as possible. And I'm trying to figure out the audience for this book has been maybe a little more of a challenge because I did, you know, kind of take it in a couple different directions. And so that's been a lot of fun to to try to do. But I wanted to reiterate for this episode that these topics are not a criticism of the reviewers themselves. It was just that some things they, they mentioned that they picked up from what was going on in the books, I kind of wanted to develop a little bit further and talk about. And this one, maybe even more so, where this one reviewer kind of pointed out was happening was something, again, I didn't intend to put in there. But once she kind of pointed out that it was happening, I was like, oh, well, here's why. (laughs) Here's why this is happening. And then I wanted to also take this opportunity to do a quick note about these two series. I've alluded to this before because there are two very different kinds of series of books, not just in that one is much more clearly defined as like an epic fantasy uh, series of books. And the other one is much more kind of allegorical suspense, spooky ish at parts kind of thing. But my intent with them is also kind of different. I wanted to just kind of point that out here just as a thing uh, in case you know, you come across this podcast or this episode and don't really know who I am or what else I do, um, I have a couple books out that I've published through, uh, they're available on Amazon. We published them through a, an imprint called Bjorn Publishing. And so the two the two series, I have the, the Triumvirs Epic Fantasy series that I kind of, when I started coming out with this new series, uh, one of the the ways I sort of sort of jokingly, but also sort of seriously, described it to uh, one person I was I was telling them about is that the triumvirs won't try to convert you to Christianity. There are Christian principles kind of at work in the background of it, and it the characters who the closer they follow those principles, the better things kind of go for them. But not it's not that cut and dried. But that's kind of it. And there's I mean there is a a deity in the books that is presumed to be true that like this this deity actually exists there are other deities that the people who believe in them believe they exist but the way the sort of world is is set up and structured is that there is one deity that that is true and so that's going on but other than that it's although it's pretty much just an epic fantasy there are some themes definitely to pull out of it that are you know could be called quote unquote Christian themes, but um, they could very easily be taken as just, I don't want to say humanist themes, but they're not as explicitly Christian as I'm capable of, certainly. And while there are, so again, there's those principles in the background, as you're reading it, there's also like natural kind of explanation aside from, you know, the magic and whatever it goes on, but like any of the, the world events that are happening, 
you don't have to read a supernatural or a divine explanation for why those events happen. There's plenty of what we could call unsupernatural reasons for everything that's happening. And there is an in-world reason for that, which you'll see at the end of the whole series, the, the end of the eight books. The Spirit Wind series, I joked, would try to convert people. This series is definitely intended primarily for Christians, especially Christians who either aren't very familiar with the Holy Spirit or who are and kind of want to read a story where the Holy Spirit is very present and active in a very real and tangible way. So the theology in it is much more in the forefront. One of the reviewers noted that A Fire to Kindle is unique in that its theology is the main plot point. It's not tacked on, but rather presented logically as the central part of the story. And that's something that's going to continue for the entire series. So if you enjoyed that part, if you've read the book and you've enjoyed it, or if that's something you want to read, then the whole series is kind of going to do that. So I just, I wanted to kind of point at those two differences between these two series that they are, you know, it's a very different experience and intended for kind of different audiences. I believe there are, you know, Christians should, I mean, as long as they otherwise enjoy epic fantasy and my writing style, they'll enjoy it. But they also, you know, non-Christians should enjoy it as well. Again, if everything else notwithstanding, but there's nothing in there that's going to like, be obvious to them as this is a Christian story in the epic fantasy series. Spirit Wind is very much, it's in your face. <laughs> the main characters discuss theology in very clear terms, even though they, you know, I've replaced the names of things. So God is called our father and Jesus is the beloved. So there's, there's that element to it, but otherwise it's, it's intended to read as a sort of theological kind of discussion almost between the characters at times without, I hope, that it, it's still like it fits within the story. It's it's again not I'm not trying to be overbearing with it. And I think I think I've succeeded in that, but it's there. So the reaction I want to talk about today is that the reviewer pointed out that there was a slight antagonism toward traditionalism, if not tradition itself. I don't know if this was meant as a criticism of it or just pointing out the fact, but I wanted to again kind of talk about this because. As I said, I didn't really intend that. That wasn't, you know, I, as I plotted this out, this is one of the themes that I wanted to develop. I guess that overtly, but I can understand why it came through because I would say that's the way I am. <laughs> and oftentimes we as authors, when we're writing, our outlook on the world tends to come through in our writing and through our characters oftentimes. So, so what I'm talking today about is this slight antagonism towards traditionalism and why it might exist, but also why the antagonism might not be towards tradition itself. And I think there are quite a few good biblical examples of antagonism towards traditionalism. If you think about it, the Pharisees were probably the most notorious of traditionalists, not in the full definition of the term. Traditionalism, when I looked it up, it can also just mean like a resistance toward progressivism. It does not necessarily mean that the only thing you do is tradition and that's it. It can just mean that like, hey, let's not rush into the most modern, most progressive thing, which we're going to get into that later. But the idea of a theology that is mired in tradition, you could say, we can think of the Pharisees. And Jesus said about them in Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, 
He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He said, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. This is the antagonism I have, is when we set aside the commands of God or set aside you know, a relationship with Jesus Christ in favor of observing the traditions that we've created or that others have created before us, then yes, I start to get a little antagonistic towards that idea. Colossians 2.23, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but I want to bring it up again in this context. Such regulations, as perhaps these traditions, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Some of the traditions that we can get into as Christians can start out as ways to remind ourselves of the earthly nature that we need to be crucifying, but it can very quickly turn into just another law, another legal system to try to appear as though we're crucifying our flesh, but in our hearts we are still committing the sins. They might be slightly different, but committing these sins or just sins in general that, again, on the outside appear to as though we're very ascetic and very uh, disciplined, but we are not. And Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through 23, going back to the Old Testament, God says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. Again, a warning against tradition for tradition's sake, where we worship the way that we always have because we always have, and that's the best way. But if your heart is not in it, it does no good. And then finally, Luke chapter 11, verses 46 and then 52. 46 says, Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. 52 says, woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. To reiterate what I said at the beginning here, if your tradition is getting in the way of a true and personal relationship with Jesus Christ, get rid of your tradition. That is my antagonism. That I kind of probably did intend to come out through the book is that when the tradition is heresy, then yes, I am very anti-tradition. Or if the people who are trying to have a relationship with Christ are hindered because they won't follow the exact traditions that you do or you think they should or whatever. We've talked about this in previous episodes, You know, especially the one about denominations. is like we don't all apprehend God in the same way. We don't interact with him in the same way. We're still each individuals. And so demanding that everybody approach God the same way you do is uncreative. I think it is unhelpful. It is unbiblical. And so, yes, I don't like those sorts of traditions. But on the flip side, I think there are plenty of verses as well to support traditionalism and support traditions. The biggest one is 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15. I'm reading this out of the English Standard Version. It says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Oops. Does that throw everything out I just said? 
I don't think so. We'll see as we read a couple more verses here and kind of talk through it. Fasting, if you think about it, is a tradition. It's one that Jesus did. It's one his disciples did. Uh, after he left, he said, they can't fast while the bridegroom is with them, but a day will come when the bridegroom will be taken away and then they will fast. When he's instructing them elsewhere in the gospels, he says, and when you fast, do it this way. It's not a pick or choose thing. It was expected and intended that you were to fast. And it is, again, it's a way for you to deny the most basic need of your body, which is food, and reveal to yourself how little you need it. We talked about this a long, long time ago, the idea of fasting that, you know, there's so many of us that after, you know, four hours without food, we start getting upset and angry and snappy with people. We're certainly not acting in a Christ-like way and not in a holy way because we haven't eaten for a couple of hours. And we looked at the fact that the human body can go weeks without food and it will not die. So the idea that we need it every four hours is our flesh controlling us, our earthly nature trying to dictate how we should act based off of if it's satisfied or not. If it's comfortable, then everything's okay. But as soon as our flesh gets a little bit uncomfortable, that's reason for us to lash out at people or to be impatient or any sorts of thing. And that's what we need to be working on is denying that. And one of those ways is the tradition of the discipline of fasting. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I want to bring this verse up because we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What witnesses was he talking about? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's all the people that lived hundreds of years before that epistle was written that were examples of those who lived in hope of what was to come and didn't get to see it. Well, what's the point of that? I was fortunate enough to, years and years ago, um, I met with someone who was going through a seminary and she was doing her study on some of the women from like the Middle Ages time period. It was a, it was a particular group. I don't remember what they were called or who they were, but they were viewed by certain people as like somewhat heretical there were things that they did and believed that weren't quite in line with the gospel, but they were still believers. They still believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And she said, one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to meet these people. Like they're going to be there. These people that we sit in the comfort of our modern theology and criticize them for not believing the way they should or the way we think they should or the way we do now. But ultimately they're going to be in heaven too. And more recently, I had the opportunity to go to a church that had a little bit more of a traditional service. It wasn't like super ancient tradition, but it was more traditional than the church I regularly attend. And what I loved about it, and what I always like about services like that when I go, is this connection that I kind of feel when you're repeating creeds and some customs as they would have been repeated for years and years and years. I don't know how many of them would have been rooted in even the Middle Ages, certainly you know, not as early as Bible times. Some of them were, at least from what we can mine out of Acts and some of the epistles. But it's kind of it, it reminded me of that fact that the Hebrews tries to remind us of. It's like there's a lot of Christianity before us. Being in that moment of 
recognizing that you know maybe some of the things I said and did during that service Christians have been doing and saying for centuries is kind of incredible to me. It just to me brings to mind a unity. There's a unity in that level of tradition that you just don't get. I don't I don't get. Okay. Some people might. I don't get from the more relevant churches where the things they're doing that the type of worship they're doing and the way, you know, the the worship experience or the service goes is all like new stuff. It's the way churches have been doing things only for the past, you know, 10, 20 years maybe, if if it even goes back that far. And so as much as we like the unity of maybe the present church body where you know we go to a church that we enjoy we you know love the community there the people that are there the teaching is it is what it is <laughs> it's either good or you know whatever whatever it is it might be great in that moment and the unity of being able to look around the room and be in that place with the people who are present and saying we're all here for the same purpose we're all here to worship god but to take that that much step further by entering into some of these traditions that have been around for centuries. Because even the communion that we do is those prepackaged things. And so even that level of tradition, it's like, okay, we're doing the, the breaking the bread and the drinking of the grape juice in this case. But the method of it is still pretty new. you know. And so it's like, so that's what I'm saying. It's, I'm not going to say no one can get that same level of grasping the unity of the church through the ages in kind of a more relevant church, but I, I feel like it's got to be harder. I know, like I said, for me, I don't get that sense when I go to church. And it's not the thing. You know, we are there to worship God and to learn more about him and hopefully become more Christ-like through what we learn to, to take what is being taught and apply it in some way, shape, or form. And having the opportunity to enter into service for the sake of the gospel and for Christ, that's all well and good. But I definitely value the recognition of it's not just this group of people here and now that I'm in unity and communion with, but it's all of Christianity since Jesus Christ. I kind of wish more people valued that and pursued it. There is another moment, actually when I was going to college, where they worshiped without instruments for the most part, but it was mostly voices and there was the one chapel, whether it was because of where I was seated or because I think we were all like kind of familiar with the song, there's a moment there where I could actually kind of hear all of us singing. Normally I can like kind of hear myself. You mostly hear the people leading the worship on stage. But this moment of hearing all of us, like the actual whole, because we were in a basketball court at that point. Um, that's where they held the, the chapel service because the entire campus had to be there Wednesday mornings. And to hear that many people singing at the same time was impactful. <laughs> you know, again, we think about in Revelation where it's everyone, multitudes that can't be counted standing before the throne and singing. It was like a, a small glimpse into that. And it's a glimpse I don't often get in the church I attend right now because their their philosophy is to play the music as loud as they can. So people who are uncomfortable with singing because they don't want to be heard can sing and no one's going to hear them because all you can hear is the band. I get that. And there are, there are times it still comes through, but it's it's very, very, very rare. But to miss that chance 
to hear the entire congregation singing is you know another example of there's there's something in that that I don't hear or see a lot of that being valued. And I, I think that's at the loss of the community of believers that that happens or that it doesn't happen, I guess you could say. So to recap the whole thing, yes, I, I have an antagonism towards traditionalism when it is affecting people's salvation. If they're worried that they're not saved because they're not doing what tradition thinks they should be doing, even though what they have done is profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, I have an issue with that level of tradition. At the same time, there is an incredible beauty in tradition, beauty and reverence and awe in practicing tradition appropriately and wholeheartedly that, unfortunately, I feel like the, the relevant church misses a lot of that because they're, they're just trying to attract people. So, yes and yes, <laughs> I guess. Next week, um, what we're going to talk about... Tune in next week to find out what we're going to talk about. <laughs> we're going to do that. Until next week, keep the faith and keep it fresh. But not too fresh. <laughs>